You're listening to the Data Point Podcast, brought to you by The Hindu. I'm your host, Sonika Loganathan. Earlier this month, a Qatar court issued the death sentence to eight former Indian Navy personnel. The former officers were arrested in August of 2022, allegedly for espionage. It's a case that has brought the issue of Indians arrested abroad back into the forefront. According to the latest data taken from Lok Sabha and Rajya Sabha answers, there are about 9,500 Indians in prisons across 89 countries. Most of these Indian prisoners are in West Asian jails. Over 2,000 are in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. Nepal, Malaysia, Pakistan, the UK, China and the United States also hold a sizable number of Indian prisoners. But what happens after you get arrested in a foreign country? Do you get to call home? Is the Indian government alerted? What if you do something that isn't considered a crime in India, but it is in the other country? How does the treatment of a prisoner change depending on the crime and the place that you're arrested? To answer these questions, I'm joined by Prabhas Ranjan, who teaches at the Faculty of Legal Studies at South Asian University. Prabhas, thank you so much for joining me today. I want to start with the fact that when people travel, when people decide to go on vacation, go abroad, they're probably not really thinking about what would happen in the event that they are arrested. Um, And of course, each country has their own set of laws. And it's kind of, I don't think that tourists are generally going through, you know, whatever those might be when they're just going on a trip. So if you're a tourist and you get arrested abroad, what do you do? What are some of the reasons? And, you know, are people generally informed about potential differences in the laws? Yeah, so uh, when you're traveling abroad, I think the first and the most important issue is that you should have some awareness about the legal system of the country where you're going, because there are many things that we often take for granted. So just to give you a simple example that, you know, it might be legal to carry pepper spray in country A uh, or in your home country, but that may not be the case where you are traveling. And people are often not mindful of this. Uh, So uh, uh, you need to have a bit of awareness about the legal system of that country, you know, and if you're doubtful, then it's always advisable to look up uh, at that foreign, you know, that country's foreign ministry's website or stuff like that, from where you can get the basic information if if you have any doubt about what kind of drugs you can carry or, you know, what kind of stuff you can carry as a tourist. Now, if in the worst case that you do get arrested, uh, 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 from the international law point of view, you definitely have the right that your home consulate should be notified about the arrest. Now, when the home consulate is notified about the arrest, then, you know, the process under the Vienna Convention uh, on Consular Relations that kicks in. Uh, and, the, uh, and, then, and, and, and the home consulate of your country would be able to provide you with consular access. So this is a right that you have. Uh, you know, uh, if if you are traveling abroad, uh, that if you get arrested, you have right to consular access. Uh, now, in this consular access, there could be several things that your uh, you know that 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 the embassy may provide you. They may provide you with legal assistance. You know, they may help you uh, in getting a lawyer if you need, and so on and so forth. And we can talk about this in greater detail later. 
But counselor access is the most important uh, right that you have. Uh, uh, and, and every traveler, every sort of every alien uh, should be should be aware of this, this basic right under international law. So does this law or these kind of set of this protocol, does it change if you are someone who is living in another country long term, say if you are working there or you, you know, immigrated to another country? Or is it kind of the same regardless of whether you're a tourist? Yeah, no, it won't change because even if you're working there, uh, counselor access is a right that everyone has under international law. So uh, I don't know if you recall the case that India brought against Pakistan at the ICJ involving Mr. Kulbushan Jadav. You know, and, and this was an individual who was working there and, uh, uh, you know, was arrested on the grounds of spying, etc., etc. Uh, and uh, this gentleman was denied counselor access. Uh, and India took Pakistan to the International Court of Justice, arguing that Pakistan has violated its obligations under the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations by not providing counselor access. And India won the case. So counselor access is, a, is, an, is, an, is an important right of every person who travels abroad, irrespective of whether it's a short-term stay or a long-term, or a long-term stay. Uh, the only difference that I would draw in terms of, say, a short-term stay as a tourist and a long-term stay, say, in terms of work visas, etc., is that, uh, you know, uh, people who are going for a long-term stay need to be more aware about the laws of the country where they're going to work or where they're, where they're going to study. So you may also have instances where, you know, students go abroad on a student visa studying for one year or two years or three years. And uh, uh, these students may might then get into some kind of trouble overseas because they're not aware of the legal rights or, you know, because they're not aware of the laws of that particular country. So if you're if you're uh, working or living on a long term basis in a certain country, then uh, that much greater the onus should be to to make yourself aware of the legal system of that country. Uh, if you look at international law in general, there are certain rights which are universal, which every country has to ensure that everyone gets. So, for example, you have the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. So if you're subjected to any kind of racial discrimination, then that 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 is clearly a violation of your rights that you enjoy under international law. Likewise, you have, you know, basic human rights. And most countries have, have ratified these treaties or these human rights are universal. And these human rights, you know, have to be followed by all the countries like, you know, you can't be tortured or you can't be, you know, put under uh, uh, in the prison without a proper proper notice. You, you know, you have a right to fair trial. So these are universal rights, you know, which which every person uh, would be entitled to, irrespective of the country where where that person gets into a legal trouble. Right, right. And I also wanted to discuss, you know, how does the intensity or severity of a crime differ if you are an Indian citizen versus, you know, the citizen of whatever country that you are in? So... For example, say you are a college student and you, you're in the U.S. and you get a fake ID and all of your classmates are doing the same. But if you get caught, you're kind of, you know, impersonating or like pretending you have citizenship, right? Versus for them, it's more of a petty crime. So how does the seriousness and the consequences differ? Yeah, so if, if it's a crime which can be related to your nationality, then of course, the, the, the consequences would differ. 
you know, say, say if it's murder, irrespective of whether it's committed by uh, a foreigner or by uh, uh, by a local person, uh, it will face the same consequence. Uh, mm-hmm. Apart from the fact that the foreigner will, you know, will will also have to be, uh, you know, uh, you you'll have to notify to the home consulate, etc. But if say there is a crime which is related to your identity in terms of creating a fake ID or you know entering a country on the basis of a fake visa or something of that sort uh, uh, then of course that would be much more serious if you are a foreigner uh, 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 and therefore it's important for students or for anyone working abroad or studying abroad uh, to be very, to be very mindful of something like this Yeah, so cultural differences are undoubtedly very important because a lot of crime uh, is understood in a cultural context. So what may be crime in country A may not be crime in country B. Uh, you know, eating pork in certain countries is a crime. It's not a crime in certain other countries. And you can clearly relate this to religion, or culture and stuff like that. Uh, 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 so so I, I, I can give one more example. You know, if you, if you look at the UAE law, uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, even if there is presence of drugs in your blood or urine uh, sample, uh, that can be construed as you in possession of drugs, right? And that and and and, and you will be liable to be punished and dealt with law accordingly. Uh, so uh, 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 you know that movie uh, depicted this cultural difference very well. You know, in India, we are <laughs> we are quite used to maybe slapping a kid if they are not behaving well which one should not do. Uh, but of course, this will be a very serious matter uh, in Europe or in or in the US or in Canada, etc. So, uh, the you know, it's, it's, it's again very important for people who travel abroad, uh, uh, more so for people who are going abroad uh, for studying or for working, to, to be mindful of the cultural sensitive sensibilities uh, in that country and to ensure that they act accordingly. Uh, you know, uh, ignorance is no defense in law. And therefore, you can't turn around and say that, oh, I was not aware that something like this is, is prohibited. Uh, 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 and therefore, I should be pardoned. So so, so it's important that, you know, that, that, that people make themselves aware about these cultural sensibilities. And, and these days, it is not very difficult to do this. Uh, uh, you know, information is, is readily available. The only thing that you need to do is that you you need to care to know these things, uh, and it is for your own benefit, so that, so that you don't get into any kind of unnecessary trouble because of ignorance or foolishness, maybe. So there's kind of, I guess, two categories that I'm looking at. One is, of course, your average tourist, and then the data that we've seen shows that a lot of the people who do end up arrested are people like fishermen who you know don't have as much access to this information maybe that, you know, the average person who's just going on vacation does. So 
what do these people do and how are they sort of um, affected by this differentiation in international law? How, what are the kinds of issues that they generally run into and how does the, does the procedure for them differ? Uh, so no, uh, if if say fishermen get arrested because they you know unknowingly uh, strayed away or entered the the other country, uh, as a goodwill measure, there have been instances where countries uh, release them; they don't keep them in detention for long. Uh, it's also important for the country uh, uh, to which the fishermen belong that this country should also be able to exert pressure on the other country to ensure that. Uh, uh, you know, these fishermen who uh, unknowingly or by mistake have entered the other country are, are, are returned back. Uh, 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 but, but you know, uh, given the rise in crime and given the sensibilities that countries have uh, in terms of issues like terrorism, etc., it is becoming increasingly difficult because, uh, you know, uh, a country may always argue that, uh, uh, you know, the people who you call fishermen, I see them you know, I'm, I'm, in my eyes, they, they, they might be doing something else, for example. So therefore, it's important, you know, uh, 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 in the coastal areas that there should be greater awareness campaigns to tell people about, you know, uh, to be mindful of these things while they're fishing. Of course, it's not it's not easy. And, 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 and many of these fishermen are aware because they have been uh, fishing in those areas for a very long time. So... So they are aware of international borders. They are aware of the limits to which they can go. Uh, but, you know, you may still have instances of bona fide mistakes being made. Uh, if it's a bona fide mistake, uh, it can definitely be corrected. Uh, and it doesn't have to go through the same uh, grilling legal process. Uh, uh, but awareness, again, is a very important issue here. And uh, uh, if, if a fisherman or if anyone uh, does get arrested, uh, again, the same rights which I mentioned earlier will will be available to these people as well. So, um, in addition to these rights, there's also some countries that we have agreements with, and you know, I think we have the agreement of transfer of sentenced persons, so 31 countries. So, can you explain what that entails and whether it's a standard agreement across these different countries? Yeah, so we have the, uh, you know, India has signed treaties for transfer of sentenced persons. And uh, 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 as part of this, Indian prisoners can be brought back uh, from some of these countries. Uh, uh, but uh, again, this is subject to the concurrence of both countries and also the prisoner. So the process is not automatic. Now, uh, 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 so say, for example, there is a person who is serving a sentence in country A. And India has a transfer of uh, treaty for transfer of sentence persons. Then the remaining sentence that person can come back and serve in India. Uh, but this, of course, will depend on the concurrence of the countries and of the prisoner. If the prisoner doesn't want, say, for example, for you know for any reason, then again this this is this cannot work. So this is not automatic. Now, this benefit again is not available to prisoners who have been awarded death sentence. So if a prisoner has been awarded death sentence in a country, then it will be difficult to, uh, you know, to get that prisoner under this treaty in terms of transfer of sentence persons. Uh, you also have extradition treaties in addition to this, but they are uh, of a slightly different nature. Uh, you know, if you look at India's extradition treaties, there are about 48 extradition treaties 
now uh, uh, there is no common template or common uh, sort of format it will vary from country to country it will vary on you know what kind of uh, how 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 uh, 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 how seriously india views a particular country in terms of extradition etc and the same goes for the other side uh, and therefore the text of the treaty and the obligations there under would differ from one treaty to the other okay and are there certain countries that can you know that we can categorize as maybe good countries bad countries ones where the treatment of prisoners is you know a little nicer whereas others where it's much harsher and are there certain countries that specifically you know have where indians are specifically affected because of yeah so in fact uh, <laughs> yeah 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 so if, if if you look at several instances you know where india has been trying to extradite many people who have run away to uk or europe etc one of the reasons why those people don't want to come back to india is because they say that the prison conditions in india are not that good you know uh, so 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 uh, uh, you do have i mean prison conditions do vary from you know country to country uh, generally speaking you know uh, the first world has has far better prison conditions in comparison to uh, you know other developing world or the least developed world uh, 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 but again you know the extradition process or the process to get these people transferred uh, as i said you know it's not it's not automatic and it, it often has to go through a very long uh, legal process of challenges and counter challenges made by different parties at different levels uh and you know there is no there's no international court in that sense which could which could oversee something like this a lot of it will depend on the domestic agencies of both the countries who want to you know uh, extradite person a you know any person from country a to say country b okay and say you you know once you're arrested for a crime is the is it more likely that you know the process will you know be like okay we're going to deport you now or is there do you go through the legal system in you know whatever country you're getting arrested in what's how does it kind of um so how often i guess do people get yeah. deported as the trial right 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 so deportation again is not not automatic i mean it's 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 not the rule that every country necessarily has to deport uh you know we need to keep one basic principle in mind that if a crime is committed on the land of a country that country has the sovereign right to deal with that crime and the criminal right uh, so 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 as long as the country is is you know as as long as the country fulfills the basic rights that the criminal has uh, or the you know the prisoner has uh, under that country's law and under international law so deportation is not the default option if i may say uh, you have some countries who would deport so say for example if you look at uk uh, uk has a deportation policy uh, india for example has been following a deportation policy uh, in fact uh, 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 if i remember in one of the cases the supreme court had said that india uh, deports without reciprocity which means india deports even in those instances people of those countries who do not deport people to india so deportation is not is not automatic uh, uh uh it would completely depend on the legal system of that country uh if that country wants they can 
you know treat that crime and you know that that criminal and deal with that person as per their domestic law and 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 and, and international law will law, international law will not stop them uh you may also have instances where uh, the host country may intervene so say for example you may have an instance where an indian is is caught of a crime in say in say a foreign land uh, that country is not willing to deport but 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 india can intervene and request for deportation uh, uh, but then again as i said whether to deport or not is ultimately the call uh, of the country where that crime has been committed okay and when you know the trial starts how does how does the you know prisoner person arrested deal with that because and they'll need legal you mentioned that they do get you know legal assistance but then how do they deal with the fees how do they do their family members get involved what's there's so many different elements are they given information about how to go about that and how are they financially and um otherwise supported by the indian consulate right so uh generally speaking the fee for the you know for fighting the court case or the legal battle has to be borne by the accused themselves uh, uh it would not be borne by the indian indian state uh, uh but you may have exceptions i mean for example the if you look at the website of the mea the mea provides information that you know it would try to find out uh you know pro bono lawyers to fight the accused case in that particular country they would also uh, arrange for legal assistance wherever possible uh, 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 you know for the distressed uh, nationals in deserving cases now which are the deserving cases again that's a call that the government will have to take uh, uh, you know depending on the depending on the situation uh, the embassy may arrange for other things in terms of you know uh, guidance uh for legal and other matters they may they may ask for human treatment in jails uh you know uh, stuff like that uh but if if say the if say the government is unable to arrange for uh, uh pro bono lawyers and you know you have to pay legal fees then that will have to be borne by the by the accused themselves there may be some exceptions for example if my memory serves me right there have been instances where there is a fund i think it's called the indian community welfare fund which has been created by the by the government uh and in in deserving cases some assistance can be provided from this from this welfare fund uh, uh to fight legal cases or you know to help uh, uh uh you know in certain cases to enable their family members to visit them uh uh, uh if, when when the trial is going on so on and so forth but at the end of the day the bottom the bottom line would be that the that the accused themselves will have to take care of the legal expenses of course the government would help as much as it can but uh, the expenses will have to be taken care of by the by the accused yeah. and i'm i'm understanding that even the level of support that the indian government gives can vary depending you know on the case is that yeah it can vary i mean of course if, if the government if the government thinks that this is this case is very very important say for example the kulbushan jadhav case where you know the the mr jadhav's family members traveled from india to pakistan to meet him uh, you know so so it it really depends on how important the case is for the government uh, if if it is an important case then i think the government will definitely go ahead and meet the legal expenses but that will not be the norm for every single case 
And on the state side, when someone is arrested, I mean, maybe this is a simplistic question, but, you know, does the Indian government keep track of who's entering and exiting the country, where they're going? Are they informed when, you know, an Indian citizen is arrested in another country? How do they, you know, say, for example, if you're traveling alone and then you disappear, can't make contact with your family, you're arrested. Will the state know? The moment a person is arrested, the person's consulate uh, should be should be informed. So if a person is arrested in a country, then the then the government would definitely come to know about this. Uh, if the person goes missing, for example, which means if say let's the, let's assume the person has a, had an accident and then goes missing, uh, uh, well then of course you know uh, uh, even in that case, uh, as soon as the government of the country where the person is traveling comes to know about this, they need to inform uh, you know they need to inform the consulate. Uh, uh, just to give you a recent example, you know, there was this Chinese uh, uh, person who died, uh, I think some heart attack or something uh, during the New Year celebrations in Noida. And the police immediately informed the Chinese consulate about about this. So, so informing the consulate is very important. And once that is done, then the government and through the government, the family members, etc. would come to know. Uh, uh, if if a country doesn't do that, then they would definitely be violating their international obligations. That's it for this week's episode, but I'll be back soon to break down the next big data story. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for The Data Point by The Hindu. Thanks for listening.